Almighty God and Father in heaven, we humbly come before you, Father, and we ask you to to be with us tonight, to bless our minds and our hearts, to bless us, Father, according to your promise, to bless the truth of your word, according, Father, to your eternal purpose for it. Help us as we humbly go forward, Father, to latch on to those things which are life-giving. We thank you for hearing our prayer, and we thank you for answering it according to your will, which is the very thing that we want most. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul has said a couple of things here. He is explaining to us the message of the gospel and the results of it and what God is affording us. And there is... I want to bring up an idea to you tonight because this is, sure enough, what the gospel is in one regard. There's lots of things to describe the good news. But the good news is what in the blood of Jesus? It's a covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. He said, as he pushed the cup toward the apostles, drink it. It is for you. This bread is my body. We don't don't let that slip through. Especially as we are articulating this to people in terms they understand. This is what we're calling people to. We're just calling people to get forgiven. No, we're not. God's not. He's calling them into a covenant with his son. Paul doesn't use this. He doesn't use this term all that much. But the idea will there and it will be predominantly there later on. But he calls for two examples here. He's already said in chapter one, he said this gospel that I've been set apart for, that God gave me to preach to the Gentiles. He said this gospel was promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures. And he said the gospel is a revelation of God's righteousness afforded to men. So this covenant This covenant uses specific terminology that God said in regard to Abraham. But I don't know that he said that to Abraham. I'm making a covenant with you, Abraham, because I'm going to take you from being unrighteous to being righteous in my sight. God didn't say that to Abraham that I know of. It's not recorded. Abraham believed God, Genesis 15, 6, and it was credited unto him as righteousness. Now, that's a fact that did to happen. But that's what Moses tells me in Genesis 430 years later. I'm not sure all of his dialogue with Abram or Abraham. But if you're going to be in covenant with God...
What is, what is the covenant? An agreement? And, and we'd say a contract in our term. Okay, well, what's a contract? It's an agreement. Is it not? Well, how are you going to be? And it's, it's beyond that because inherent in this idea of covenant is really a relationship. If Nancy and I have a contract, we just got a what? Relationship. That both parties are in full what? Agreement. I guess you could have more than two, but you got at least two. Because one one party doesn't make a covenant. That's a, I lost the word I was going to give you. That's an opinion, I guess. It's not an agreement. So Abraham had this agreement with God. Who made the agreement? God. God. Where'd Abraham's covenant with God come from? Abraham didn't do research on the Internet and go, oh, wait, I got God here on this. Let me go see if I can get something done. No, his relationship with God was from God. And why we're, we're, we're building here, okay, and then beyond Abraham, his next example is David. Abraham, Abraham was nobody in particular. Abram, living in Ur of the Chaldees, even at that time, had paved streets and running water. If you wanted a good life, that's where you wanted to be, Mesopotamia. And he had it. And what happened? God called him. He called him. He was called by God. And then he brings up another witness here in Romans 4. What then should we say that our father Abraham, he's the father of the covenant, the father of the Jewish nation, the father of God blessing the whole world, when God introduces that covenant... And speaks it. It is about the whole world. It is regarding Abraham and his descendants to you and your descendants to your descendants. I will give this land. I will protect you. I will guard you. I will guide you. I will bless you. Anybody who opposes you, I will oppose. He makes that all that agreement he makes with Abraham. This is the basis of the Jewish nation. And then what's the next person he brings up? David. What's. I don't mean to be offensive, but that's what I got room for. Abraham. 
David? Who's David? Where'd David come from? Is he a descendant of Abraham? So he's a part of God's purpose. So as God makes this covenant, as he makes this agreement with Abraham, not only what else happening for Abraham here? Come and go to a land I will show you. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, that's something you might can hang on to. Do you ever feel like, okay, where are we going? Okay, what's going on now? I mean, has that crossed your mind in the last little while? Okay, what are we doing now? Abraham's the same guy. He's a guy just like us. But God has called him. God's made a covenant. God's made an agreement. And God did it all, and it's all based on God, but it's it's involving Abraham. And we know, after the fact, that God gave Abraham what Abraham needed to be in covenant with God. What did Abraham need in order for him and God to be together in covenant, in agreement, in commitment? One in purpose. He needed righteousness. Well, he didn't have any. I mean, he's a pretty good old boy. Except for he keeps lying by his wife and giving her to foreign kings. Now, what? What? That's not a good day. That's not a good day. Tim thinks it's going to save him some grief and some skin off his nose or his back and goes, oh, here's Denise. Go ahead. This is not good. Are you telling me Abraham never knew a good thing to do that he failed to do? You know, he knew a lot of good things to do that he failed to do. He had to live with that. After God made the covenant and God made the agreement and God gave him all the stipulations of it and told him what all not to worry about, evidently he's still worried about it. On occasion. And yet, regardless of what kind of day Abraham was having at the moment, what did God keep doing with Abraham? He kept using him for his purpose, didn't he? He did. Why is he bringing this up? When he tells you right there in chapter 4, first couple of verses, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? In what matter on earth is he talking about? Righteousness that comes from God. That's what he's talking about. What's the one thing Abraham did? He believed God. He believed God. And, and 
Just let that settle in a minute. Yes, ma'am? So in verse 2, where it says, if, in fact, so he's not stating a fact, he's asking the question. If Abraham was justified by works, that's the, the question that I'm asking. That's the matter that's at hand. And, but that's the opposite of being justified by God. That's my question. Yeah. In the argument. Go back. This is his point. Go back to 321. But now a righteousness from God. He just said God giving commands and instruction to men. God giving nature to man. God giving a sense of moral responsibility to man. And God giving specific religious privilege to some men. None of that resulted in righteousness. That men created and produced on their own. It didn't. But now, a righteousness from God apart from what? What do you mean? Apart from law. Was God in agreement with Abraham because Abraham was so obedient? Does the Bible declare Abraham was obedient? He obeyed and went. Well, you see the you see the dilemma. Oh, I wish God would just say it. God's saying it over and over and over. He says it so that you don't have to hear it if you don't want to. Abraham was righteous in his performance. No. Abraham never broke a command of God. No. That's not true. Was he righteous? Yes. Could God speak of him as being righteous? Yes. Why? Because he believed. What's Abraham's connection to this covenant with God? He believed it. So this is some kind of... People have arguments from Romans and they hadn't listened to the book of Romans yet. Look at faith in Abraham's life. Well, what's that all about? Really? Is he checking off some boxes with God? Faith for Abraham. Is that some kind of mentalistic... That he's come into some agreement with God about, well, yes, you're the creator and, and, mm -mm. faith is the thing that trumps everything else for Abraham. And when the rubber meets the road, he's going to fail in that different times to different degrees. But when the rubber meets the road, he chooses God. And it's process. And he had a lot more faith way on down the line. If you, I don't know a lot more. Yeah, but it says he was persuaded and he was strengthened in his faith. He was fully persuaded. That tells me it's a process. He was fully persuaded God had power to do what he had promised. 
And when he takes Isaac up the hill, up the mountains of Moriah, his mindset and his perspective are clear. And when he's hiding behind his wife's skirts with Abimelech, his perspective's not in place, is it? It's not toward God, is it? He doesn't say, I will stand here. God will protect me and mine. No, he failed in that. So for Abraham, we used that illustration the other day. Does his actions go like this? Yeah. Yeah. What's Abraham and David both an example of? God's been talking about the gospel for a long time. God's been making agreements with sinful people. Abraham was a sinner and David was a sinner. There's no way around that. There's no way around that. You think about Abraham and maybe the pinnacle, maybe this is just me, but Genesis chapter 22, for me, the pinnacle of Abraham's journey with God is when he's got his son up on the hill bound and laying on the altar that they built with the wood they brought with the saddled donkey they got saddled on a journey that they made with the knife that he brought and he raises his hand to strike his only begotten son and the angel stays his hand and says Abraham, Abraham Do not lay a hand on the lad. And then Abraham sees with his eyes the fulfillment that he told Isaac a while ago. You know, Dad, we've got just about everything we need except for one thing. And I'm thinking, where's the sacrifice? Remember what Abraham told him? Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And he didn't have a cotton-picking clue. There was no, all he had was God's record and God's word and God's past history with him. And what's happened? What's happened? What is the thing that has marked Abraham's life? The impossible. Over and over and over and over. The impossible. You would think God's involved. God is involved. This is God's track record. And Abraham's fully persuaded. I don't care what God has promised. I don't care how impossible it is. If God has promised it, it's a done deal. And he just goes that direction. It's not magic, brothers and sisters. It's just faith. So David, where did he come from? Terrible time in Israel. The king has just decided that he knows more than God himself. 
And God said, I don't play the arrogance. I don't, I don't play that. It's like divination and idolatry. Samuel, tell him. The kingdom's torn away from you. And I'm going to give it to somebody else. And he went and he found. And he told Samuel, what? Fill your horn with oil and be over your way. Quit your crying and your belly aching about you didn't get what you wanted when you wanted. And Saul didn't straighten up. Quit doing all that because I'm God and I've got the promise. And he sends Samuel over to Jesse's house. You remember when we were first Samuel 16. said to Samuel, how long, verse 1, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen. Was David elected to the king, to the office of king? Did he run a he have campaign manager? No. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Look down here in verse seven. I know y'all know the story. Surely, I mean, Ablab is there in verse 6. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. That's what Samuel has got in his mind. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David was considered by all the Jews to be the greatest king Israel ever had. He he was their warrior. He was their savior. He was their promoter. He was their protector. He was everything... He was a man after God's own heart. What's he doing in Romans 4? What's Paul? What, what, what is this? i got to write a letter to the church, so I guess I'll give him a little Jewish history. The Jews already... That's not. No, he is in an argument about God has promised in the gospel. In the gospel, he is revealing what it is he has promised. And he has promised to do the absolutely positively impossible. And that is to make sinners righteous. Should they come to be in agreement with God. I don't think we can blow this off. 
And I think it's human nature, not Jewish nature. I think it's human people who have committed sin previously at some point in their life. I think it is their nature to misunderstand. And I think we've got, we've got questions. Abraham's agreement with God was not based on Abraham. It involved Abraham. It took place in Abraham's life all day, every day. When he had a good day and when he had a crummy day. When he did just right and when he messed up. God's still God. The agreement's still good. And God's purpose is still going forward. Of course, David, now as soon as David, as soon as the Lord got a hold of David, he's chosen by God. Did God make a covenant with him? Yeah. You're going to be the king. Your son's going to build the temple. One of these days, one of your descendants is going to sit on the throne, my throne, your throne, that's my throne, it's my throne, and I gave it to you, and one of your descendants is going to sit there, and he will reign forever and ever, talking about the one they call the son of David. You're talking about Jesus. Did David have a relationship with God? God chose him. He chose him. He's a descendant of Abraham. He's part of Abraham's agreement with God. But God chose him. And think about all the things we know from David's life. And he wrote half the Psalms. Read some of those and you'll get some real specific personal insight about the stuff that you just get kind of framework of. It was a tough deal on any given day. His enemies were real. Did God work through Abraham in spite of Abraham's mistakes? Yeah. The covenant was from God. He was called by God. What was it? What was it that Abraham and David shared? They had relationship with God. Covenant relationship. They both speak about the blessing of righteousness. Though David didn't use the term righteousness, did he? But I know it's a good comparison because Paul said, David says the same thing. What does Abraham have to say about relationship with God? You can trust God no matter what you see with your eyes. God keeps his promises. God's purpose is going to go forward even when you mess up. God's going to keep going forward. God's going to keep using you when you let him, if you let him, just keep walking. I know it hurts. I know you got questions. I know you don't understand. I know things keep happening beyond your control. I know you got questions about 100,000 things. Just keep walking. That's what Abraham did. And when God says outlandish, impossible things, number one deal is just remember who said it and believe him. He believed God. So he was used by God. Did that turn into anything? Yeah. 
God gave him righteousness. What's that got to do with what we're talking about in Romans 4? I made a pretty big deal out of that the other day. Where did Abraham get his righteousness? From God. What afforded God the right? What gives God the right? And let me tell you, God doesn't do anything he doesn't have the right to do. God doesn't do anything that's not just. God doesn't do anything that doesn't come out of complete, total, absolute justice. Because God is just. He couldn't be unjust if he wanted to, and he doesn't want to. He will be just on purpose. He credited Abraham with righteousness. He gave David forgiveness. Cleansing David of sin. What what was Abraham's conclusion on Moriah? Jehovah Jireh. I'm, I'm convinced David's of the same opinion. He didn't have a physical circumstance to, to work through, but he knew a lamb wasn't going to do it, a goat wasn't going to do it, a bull wasn't going to do it. There's an impossible situation. David has just lied, committed adultery, committed murder, and he did it all every bit on purpose. And it impacted the entire nation. He has forced people to lie and commit murder with him and for him. And all God didn't go into some deep explanation about justification by faith. Nathan the prophet just said, God put away your sin. Period. You don't think David's got to wrestle with that? He does. David says the same thing when he speaks about the blessedness of the man to whom uh, God credits righteousness apart from works. Right there. He just, what do they both have in common? Apart from works. Their relationship with God was apart from works. Their blessing from God was apart from works. Abraham found no way to put God in his debt. God's not in anybody's debt. He can't be. If a man's working for wages, then whoever he works for is obligated. You can't obligate God. If Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, not before God. If he obligated God, if there was a debt created, Abraham created no debt with God. David created no debt with God. And people give their lives right now in this day and age, and they're trying to put God, guess where? In their debt. No, you don't understand, Jadon, what I'm going to do. No, I don't have a clue what you're going to do. But I know what you're not going to do. You're not going to put God in your debt. You can't. He's never owed anybody anything. He doesn't. He's the creator. 
He is the one who's righteous. He called Abraham. He chose David. He gave both of them righteousness on their accounts. Righteousness, he forgave their sin. Well, if you get rid of sin, you've got righteousness. And both of their relationships with God was apart from what they accomplished. If you think that means David and Abraham were lazy, you're not listening. Did David work for God? All the time. Did Abraham work for God? All the time. Their lives are marked by this pursuit of what is absolutely impossible, and they don't have a great amount of explanation. We've got bazillion times more explanation of who God is, what God's doing, what God wants, and where it's all going. They had precious little information about anything. But God said that was enough. What's the point of this? Because life is going to come, brothers and sisters. Hardship and sorrow are going to come. Trouble's going to come. Disappointment and failure and sin are going to come. Against you and most likely from you. And if you came out of the water and you never, you never committed a sin after that day, God would not be in your debt one whit. You would always be in God's debt. You go into the water with sin accredited to your account and you come out of the water with guess who credited to your account? Jesus and his righteousness. Paul's not off the subject here, and he's not just peddling around in Jewish history. But when he said righteousness is afforded and revealed in the gospel and through the blood of Jesus, he doesn't mean something else. He means that. And the Jews are doing their best, and I'm talking about Jewish Christians are doing their best. Jews, as a nation, are doing their best, 57 AD, to destroy the church. And some Jewish Christians are doing their best, whether they intend it or not, to split the church. Because they're not just Christians. Their covenant, their impossible covenant with God is not just in the blood of Jesus. It's their Jewish heritage. And they know more about God and they, they please God more and nothing personal. They're just better than you. Nope, 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 and nope. That's what got Saul in trouble. Arrogance, God won't play it. And so the gospel message, this this God has been acting off of the cross all along. Abraham is an illustration of that and David is an illustration of that. And God being eternal, when before he said light be, the cross of Jesus Christ is an occurred fact in his mind. 
No, he knew it's his plan. It's his eternal purpose and plan. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, Paul said. So can God forgive Abraham based on the cross? Yeah. Then what's the church, what's the Christians in Rome going to have to shut up about? Jewish lineage. Abraham, uh, David, the greatest king they ever had. They're going to have to hush about what? Jewish nationalism. Did God forgive David? Yeah. Based on David? No. Based on what? The cross. So, ask lots of questions. What example do Abraham and David in combination, what example do they give us? What is their example to us? Are they a good example of anything? What are they examples of? What lessons could we learn from them? Are they examples of faith? Yeah. Paul said, let me, I mean, he tells you, let me tell you. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? Most ultimately, what matter? This matter. This matter. Faith. Was Abraham faithful? It's a trick question. Yes, he was faithful, Paul. I agree with you. He was. What about when he's hiding behind his wife and lying? He's not lying, but he is too. He's manipulating the truth to benefit him. Was David teaches? He's a more graphic example. But Genesis twelve, Genesis twelve, really all the way to fifty. It's not about Abraham. Genesis twelve to twenty two is not about Abraham, is it? See the main character? Nope. Is it the story of Abraham? Yep. But who's it really the story of? God. It's God's story. It's God's purpose. It's God's story. What about David? I mean, who had the greater faith, Abraham or David? Then why do we do that? 
If if somebody's trying to compare Abraham and David to how much they faith they had, would that be very wise? When we compare ourselves with ourselves, Paul said, we're not wise. They just had faith. They did too, and David's a very graphic, unsettling demonstration of that. This is what the story is. The story is about God. Your Bible is about God, brothers and sisters, not about you. You can be involved if you want to. God paid the price for us to be involved. But it's about God. It's from God. It's to bring us toward God. It's to bring us to God. Not to ourselves. Which would it be harder to do? Sacrifice your one and only son. About 13 years old, I guess. I don't know. You're going to sacrifice him. Been waiting on this deal for a long time. And God said, I want the boy. Okay. What takes more faith, that or to keep being king? After you fail to do a good thing in the springtime, when kings go off to war, David was on the roof of his palace. For the rest of his life, what's David got to do? With what happened. When Absalom's raping Tamar. When his son's raping his sister. And the prophet said I've told you so. Before it ever happened. The sword will never depart from your house. You're still going to be king. You're still going to follow him. You're still going to write psalms. You're still going to praise him. You're still going to serve him. Judas didn't. What did he not have? John chapter 6. Jesus knew from the beginning which of them did not. Judas would not allow himself to be connected to Jesus in that way. I surrender. Did David surrender? Mm-hmm. Did Abraham surrender? Mm-hmm. Over and over and over? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did they know the cross was coming? When God made a promise, did they trust him? Yep. No matter what it cost them, no matter what it cost them. They are, they are the principle of God acting in the lives of chosen, called people. He just spent the first part of the chapter one saying Christians are what? Called, 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 called. This covenant is a call. 
It's a continuing call. He just gets smack dab in the middle of it in chapter 12. But it's a continual call as he gives this this gospel, this revelation. Of justification by faith. Is a continual call. No, God's calling me every single day. God's calling you every single day. This is based on God. It doesn't have anything to do with how young you are, how happy you are, how leveled out your performance is, what people think of you, how tall you are. God doesn't look at the things men looks at, how big your bank account is. God doesn't look at that. What does God look at? Can we, can we... Can we let the fact that the truth we have about God, is it the truth that you know about God that has brought you to love him? Don't you love him? That's like asking, is Abraham faithful? Was Abraham, was David a murderer and an adulterer? Or was he a man after God's own heart that committed adultery and committed murder? Yeah. You see the difference in that? I say sometimes for emphasis, you know, for em- emphasis that David's a liar and murder and adulterer. Not really. Not really. Really what he is, man after God's own heart, he was guilty of lying, guilty of adultery, and guilty of murder. But David didn't suppose that adultery was the thing to be done. That it would bring God's purpose, that it would help God's people, that it was the answer to life. I know his flesh fell prey to that. I know he knew a good thing he ought to be out advancing the kingdom, and he wasn't. He stayed home and got in trouble. It's a sad story. But you do all those things. You take the devotion of Uriah and spit on it. You bring Uriah home from the war and and get him drunk and have a feast and, and do everything you can to get him to go sleep with his wife to cover up her pregnancy. And Uriah's devotion would have none of it. He's a Hittite for crying out loud. I think David was a magnetic personality. 
been murdered. Now, maybe that's a little deeper than Paul goes, but not really. These are things we have to deal with. Both of these guys had up and downs. Both of these guys did things wrong. Both of these guys had faith that in some regard cost them everything. And they were both tickled to get death to offer it. They kept doing what God kept putting before them. Why? Because, man, it's God. And though they didn't have an explanation, they kept trusting. If God's inviting me for his purpose, here we go. I think all of this is a call for us to evaluate God from God's word. And for us to evaluate God's purpose from God's word. And for us to evaluate the role and the function of faith in our lives. When Abraham took off and he gave and he started, he took off God's way and walked God's way and kept messing it up for all kinds of reasons. He considered it to be worth it. And even when David failed, he just kept going. How much faith in God does that take? I can forgive you based on the cross. That's what he told me to do in Colossians and Ephesians. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. Well, that's based on the cross. You can forgive me, but the real test is, are you going to forgive you? And that was just as challenging for both of those men. They're just men, but their lives are about God. Their lives are in God's purpose. Somewhere in that, I hope this I hope this elevates our understanding of who we are in Jesus. God doesn't need you to be all these things that we dream of doing where people pat us on the back and throw parades and applaud our, you know. I've heard some of you guys tell stories about when you stood up for what was right. And you were persecuted for it. If God was writing the Bible today, brothers and sisters, how do you know that's not on a page in there somewhere? Because it's the same God. I hope that we can hear the call, the continuing call of the gospel is for us to depend on God because our relationship with him, brothers and sisters, depends on him. And he is faithful. And whatever happens to us or whatever we fail out or figure out or don't figure out or get a hold of or don't get... 
God loves you because he wants to. God chose you because he wanted to. God keeps his agreement. We got to hang on to that. We got to hang on to that. Paul's going to go through a series of things here that frankly the world says, well, there you go. Your, your Christian face of no value. It didn't end your suffering. You think all Abraham's suffering ended the day he started, left Mesopotamia? Most of his suffering started that day. You think David's suffering ended the day? By the way, this is just for free. What was David doing when all of his brothers were at the sacrifice trying to get anointed? They're all over here flexing and, you know, doing all the... David's nowhere to be found. Now, is this, the, the Lord hadn't said a thing about nobody. Is this all your sons? No way. I have one son that just always does what I tell him to do. He's out doing nothing like I told him to. Taking care of a few sheep. Well, go get him. Oh, my goodness. There he is. There he is. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you, Father, for who you are. Or being the, being the God who has the power and the purpose to call people. To call people out of sin and into your son. To call people out of unrighteousness into righteousness. To call us, Father, out of selfishness into holiness. We hear this call, Father, of your gospel. We've heard it because we obeyed it and and cleansed of our sins, Father. We want to go forward in it. We want to continue to hear the call of the gospel because we want, Father, to continue to walk in the footsteps, the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. Bless us, Father, as we endeavor to trust you More than we ever have. Help us to trust you, Father. And help us to go forward in your purpose. Especially when all we have is not things that the world considers accomplishments. Especially, Father, when all we have is the truth of your word and your promise. Be with us as your people. Bless us to know you. To know you in a way that brings your purpose, Father, in our lives and in the lives of people that we love and meet along the way. Thank you for explaining things to us, Father. Bless us as we go forward in this truth. It's through Jesus who bled for us, died for us, and intercedes right now. We pray these things. Amen.